0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Tim Jamal, CEO of NAB SoCal, and I'm very pleased to welcome everyone to our podcast series where we interview those who shape and drive commercial real estate throughout Southern California. NAP SoCal is the premier association representing commercial real estate in Southern California, we have more than 1000, actually 1100 real estate professionals, 500 of the top commercial real estate firms throughout Southern California who are part of NAOP. We provide networking, top-notch education, and public policy advocacy for our members. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast John Drachman. John is co-founder and head of capital markets for Waterford. Since starting his predecessor firm, Stillwater Investment Group, in 2014, John has acquired and been a partner in over $2.8 billion of office, retail, and apartment assets in Southern California. John previously served as vice president with Greenlaw Partners in Orange County, where he led the acquisitions and asset management efforts on a portfolio of commercial real estate assets throughout Southern California and Arizona. John began his career as a commercial real estate broker with Grubb and Ellis. He earned a Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of Arizona and went on to earn his MBA degree as well as his Master's in Real Estate Development from USC. John is a past board member uh, of mine here at NAEP SoCal, uh, an excellent board member, and is and remains active nationally in NAEP. So, John, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am very excited to have you. Lots of people seem to be talking about you these days. So now I get to talk to you. So um, uh, listen, I, I mean, we work together. You are one of our board members, but I don't even know a lot about your background uh, before you became who you are today. So where did you grow up? And
1: uh, what, uh, tell me about
0: that. a little. Yeah, bit.
1: so uh, well, I'm obviously excited to be here. So I, I'm a product of Orange County. So I was uh, born at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach. Um, my dad is originally from Pasadena. My mom is from central Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. Uh, I was born at Hogue Hospital. I grew up in Newport Beach for the first couple of years of my life. And then um, I moved to Turtle Rock in Irvine. So I grew up in Irvine, California, uh, went to university high school where I was a water polo player there. Um, and so I am, uh, I think really probably one of the first generations of people who are, are born and raised uh, in Orange County. So obviously I've seen Orange County grow. I mean, I remember when the Irvine spectrum was nothing and a lot of the parts of Orange County were nothing. And it's pretty impressive to see the amount of growth that's taken place here. And so uh, I grew up here, had a very, I would call it upper middle-class childhood uh, and uh, decided after school that I wanted to get away from Orange County. And that's when I made the decision to go out to the University of Arizona for undergrad, where actually um, on my dad's side of the family, I had a number of family members who are originally from the state of Arizona. So that's when I made the decision to, to go to school there because I wanted to, I felt like Orange County maybe was a little bit of a bubble and I wanted to get away from that.
0: Yeah. Well, you came back. We'll get into that. <laughs> um, uh, so you may, yeah, it's true. You may be like a first generation, one of the first generations to grow up here. Uh, my niece actually went to university high school and played water polo there as well. So yeah. um, are you, do you still play at all?
1: No, I mean, I still swim uh, a couple of days a week uh, at the JCC in Irvine where I work out and swim. Uh, but no, water polo is kind of a young man's sport or young woman's sport. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's hard to keep the momentum going. But certainly I think, you know, my experience is playing shaped a lot of who I am. You know, water polo is a very difficult sport, if you know from your niece. Uh, it's a hard sport. Uh, it well, takes yeah. a lot of time and effort. I think they say of all the Olympic sports outside of cross-country skiing, it exerts the most effort when you play. Um, and so, you know, that experience of playing and being a part of a team, I played a couple of years in college as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the people I played with was a, a good friend of mine still, Anthony DiLorenzo, who's with CBRE. And so some of my best friends are still some of the people I played high school water polo with. So, you know, I, I think like a lot of commercial real estate professional sports, And that competitive nature, being a part of a team, is something that shaped who I am. And I would never trade the experiences that I had playing water polo for anything because it was really learned a lot of good lessons from playing sports.
0: What what would you
1: say are some of the most valuable lessons? Teamwork, camaraderie? Teamwork, camaraderie. and, And I always say water polo players are grinders. I think the commercial real estate business is one in which you have to have a grind mentality. You know, when you're playing water polo and getting up early every morning, jumping into a cold pool, lifting weights, playing, it's a physical game uh, and it requires a lot of mental endurance. And so um, I I think that, you know, I I always joke, there's a number of very successful people that played water polo that are in commercial real estate. And I always say, we're sort of grinders. We're people who will just continually show up, continually work hard because that's how we've been trained. I mean, I still, if I sleep in past six 30, that's me sleeping late because my experience is playing. So I still get up early every most mornings because of it. So I, I think really, I mean, there was a lot of lessons, but I just think the ability to sort of grind um, and because yeah. that's the nature of a lot of sports, but specifically water polo. And anybody who's played water polo, I think will recognize what I say about that, especially those just constant practice, constant in the water. And it, it's just, it's, it's a mentality that I think has served me really, really well throughout my commercial real estate career.
0: Well, I don't usually share my podcast interviews with family because they probably aren't as interested <laughs> as I am, but I, I'm i gonna share this one with my niece. Um, it, it's funny you use the word grinder. Uh, I know when I took over as the CEO or the first CEO here uh, a few years ago, Rob Antrobius, who you know, uh, yep. who, was, who was our past president uh, and really just a great person. Um, and, and great leader in the industry. Um, I think he, he told me even before I started as CEO when we were talking about the opportunity, he said to me, "Tim, we're grinders." Yes. <laughs> and so the fact I think you you know that he told me that before I started, and now you've now kind of cemented that. Yep. Uh, uh, description. Yep. Well, uh, so let me. Were you a swimmer first or is that
1: what you did for fun? Or you? Yeah, I was just good I, I I at swimming. And so I, w- I, I, I was a swimmer. And then when I was in middle school, um, they were kind of, I would call it the cool kids in my middle school. Uh, a couple of them had older brothers who were playing water polo on this club team in Irvine. And so to try to impress them or be a part of that kind of group, I said, oh, I, I know how to swim. I want to try that. And I just kind of naturally liked it. I wasn't great at it at first. I had to kind of grind through it. And I didn't really get, I think, really good at it until I was sort of my junior or senior year in high school or a lot better at it. But, you know, I've always been a natural swimmer. Um, and, uh, you know, if, you've, if anybody's ever seen me play a land sport, they would agree with that. <laughs> uh, and so I'm the opposite. I'm more of the land sport guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I was always I always felt really comfortable in the water.
0: Well, uh, that's great. So let's talk about the journey Yep. and tell me you have pursued a lot of education and yep. tell me what that's really meant for you and why you've decided to continue to be, get educated.
1: Well, I, I, I think, you know, when I went to the university of Arizona, um, you know, one thing I think that's important for anybody who's listening to this to know is when I went out there, uh, my great uncle was a man by the name of Roy Drackman. So Roy was sort of, um, Uh, I think he was somewhat of a, not a legend in the industry, but he was very well known within the commercial real estate industry. Uh, He got very involved in the ULI organization and really it's kind of infancy stages as he got involved in land development and retail development in Southern Arizona. And so Roy was alive when I went out to the University of Arizona and I met him and I got to know him really well and he was a huge influence on me. And he was a big believer in education He was very involved with both ULI and ICSC, and he, you know, was somebody who was constantly grinding, worked till he was basically 92, 93 years old, uh, and had this really fabulous career in commercial real estate, Uh, did a lot of really cool things, helped develop the first indoor mall in the state of Arizona, um, did a bunch of retail development all throughout Southern California and the state of Arizona, was partners with a bunch of interesting characters, And I think what I really gleaned from my conversations with him was that his involvement in the trade organizations and continually learning was Mm -hmm. a big part of his success. So he at one point was president nationally of ULI, him and five other ULI members were the original founders of ICSC. Um, The reason ICSC is actually in Las Vegas is because when my great uncle was president of ICSC, he moved the conference from New York to Las Vegas. And so, um, I saw through- And it's still there, there, right? right? What's that? It's still there, It's still there, yeah, it is. Um, And so I saw through him and his career of how his involvement of learning and growing and, and constantly being somebody who was grinding, I would say, but also getting really involved in the industry was really important. And that's something that he stressed to me before he passed away. And he was really my influence of thinking of commercial real estate as a career because I saw so that's, how, the
0: that's the spark.
1: I was going to ask you about. That. Yeah. So that, that, that really was Roy was really my spark because one of the things when we would talk, because I was in school, I was studying business and he would tell me, uh, would be that, you know, with commercial real estate, you know, you can do well financially, but you're also really involved in your community and you you have to know what's going on in your local community. My dad was in technology sales. My dad traveled a lot when I was young. Um, and it, I mean, even when I was older, uh, traveling the country, even internationally, selling uh, different products, I uh, worked for IBM. And I always remember I hated the fact that he traveled a lot as a kid. Um, you know, he wasn't around a lot, and that was the nature of his business. So I was always interested in doing well financially, but trying to find a business where you didn't have to travel as much. And what really resonated with me with my great uncle was that he was incredibly involved in Phoenix and Tucson and other areas, because he said, if you wanna be successful in real estate, it's a local business and you need to know what's going on. You need to know your local city council, you need to know the local planning commission. And and so I think what gravitated me towards it was seeing his career as somebody that was successful. Um, You know, when he passed away, when he was 93 years old, there were, I think 900 or 1000 people at his funeral in Tucson, wow, um, and it was a who's who of people there, and I just remember I just said, okay, this is somebody I want to emulate, and I I remember though that what really struck with me is that he knew everything that was going on in Tucson because he was developing and active there, and so he would travel for work, but it wasn't a necessity, um, and so that really rang true for me, and so I think that was really what sparked my interest in real estate it was his career, seeing the success he had uh, and and seeing him come from pretty humble means to have a lot of success and believing that you know I could do that. And more importantly, the, the desire to do something where I didn't have to travel a lot and that eventually if I was going to have a family, I wanted to do something where I wasn't on the road, so to speak, all the time, like I saw my dad have to be. So That was, that was really the influence for me of, of pursuing commercial real estate. Yeah, no,
0: I appreciate that, John. It's interesting that that had such a a deep impact on you. Sometimes, um, you know, people who are younger, uh, like to travel, for example, you know, it's like, Hey, um, I want to go see the world. Um, not that you don't want to see the world, but you came at it with a different perspective, uh, I think I've always
1: been somebody who wants to see the world. But what I saw with my dad was just that living out of a suitcase is hard. It's hard on your family, hard to be gone. And I just, I told myself, I really wanted to try to find a career where I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Well, it looks like you've succeeded on on that goal.
0: Well, so you get all this education. Yep. um, And did you work while getting some of this education concurrently?
1: Yeah. So then I went to the of Arizona. I graduated. I did there. uh, I was in the business school there. I graduated with, a bachelor's degree in marketing, but also I did their entrepreneurship program. University of Arizona was I think the third program in the country to offer an undergraduate major in entrepreneurship, which was a fabulous program because you had to do a one year, basically your your senior year in college, you developed a business plan with a couple of students that you took through the entire year through all these classes. And it was a really strong experience for me. Um, We actually had a lot of success with the business that we developed so initially, after college, we won some money at two case competitions that we participated in, and actually won, and started the business that we created. Um, That's which awesome. A, which is a long story. So we st- we started that business. Well, we have a little time. Okay. <laughs> well, we start, We started a business to develop guidebooks written by college students for future college students, basically travel guides for colleges. We kind of called it, and we d- we we developed it. Uh, We were going to try to get a publishing deal around it. We actually published our first book right after we graduated college, which was a general guidebook to college based on interviewing, I think, 200 college students about everything they wish they would have known before they went to college. Um, And we raised money. We started the business in Orange County. My business partner at the time moved out here to Orange County, and we ran that for about a year. Unfortunately, we found that we had a large competitor on the East Coast. It's called the college prowler books that was about three years ahead of us we didn't find that out until after we started um you know this is i mean i graduated in 2003 so google was around but it wasn't like what it is today so it was hard to find that we had a large competitor already and so the, the business never really took off um it was a difficult experience because i i had some my business partner and i got along really well in school and then when we got to the real world, it turned very different. We had very different views about how to grow the business, how to run the business, which was, I yeah, think you, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the business unfortunately failed. And so then this was the end, the middle of two thousand, beginning of 2004. And so then I went back to, well, I, the, the thing that I had a passion for was real estate. So I started talking to people and I eventually landed a job with Pulte Homes. So I started with Pulte Homes out of their uh, Orange County office, and I was in a rotational training program with them (laughs) where I worked, uh, did a bunch of different things, but mostly I worked on site at a uh, development project they had in Yorba Linda, near Black Gold Golf Course, where I did everything from on-site sales. I worked in customer service. I worked in a construction trailer for two months, I believe. Um, uh, I worked in the purchasing department, I think, for a month. And I did this uh, training program with them where at the end of it, uh, they kind of place you into what they think is the best role for you within the organization. Um, I hated it. Um, (laughs) I hated working for a big, large, publicly traded company. Pulte at the time was the largest home developer, the second largest behind D.R. Horton. Um, I didn't I loved real estate, but so much of the public home building model is you're basically working for a manufacturing company that just happens to be in real estate. Um, They thought I would be best suited in sales, where I had the most aptitude for it. And most of their communities were getting uh, built. This was 2004. uh, So it was in the Inland Empire. uh, And they didn't want people to commute. So they wanted me to move out there. And I didn't. Um, You had to work weekends if you were going to be in sales, which I didn't like. And so I sort of had this experience where I felt like I kind of failed again. I failed in my business starting it. Then I failed with this job where I didn't like it. And what I tell people now and I advise people is that's just life. Uh, Sometimes it's better to fail earlier in your career because you learn what you don't like. And I I use the analogy of it's like 31 flavors of ice cream. Sometimes you have to try flavors of ice cream you don't like to find the flavor you like the most. And that's okay. Uh, No different than dating. Sometimes you have to date a certain person. You go, you know what, I don't I, I didn't like that they were such an introvert. And it's like you can get really upset about that or you can go, wow, I just learned a lot. So, yeah. Now, in hindsight, I learned a tremendous amount from both of those experiences, Um, but it it really caused me to really stop and step back and say, okay, what do I want to do? I liked the real estate aspect of it. And so then I started networking again, talking to friends of my parents, friends friends I grew up with who were in the business, trying to find anybody I could. And I got really lucky that my stepfather's first cousin was a man by the name of Bob Osprey. So Bob was the, at the time, president of brokerage services for Grubb and Ellis. I'd known Bob for about 12 years. And I reached out to Bob and him and I had lunch. And he told me, hey, I think you're missing the boat here. I think real estate, you'd be very good at it, but you should really think about commercial real estate, office, industrial, retail, apartments. I think home building is not for you. And he was a really good mentor of mine. And so I started then... Uh, talking to everybody I could, cold calling different people within the commercial real estate industry. And it took me uh, a couple months, but I I landed some uh, interviews with some commercial real estate brokerage firms because Bob's advice was, he said, you seem really personable. You seem like you like people. You don't want to be behind a desk all day. I think brokerage might be a good place to start. And so I went and interviewed with Marcus and Millichap, Sperry Van Ness, Cushman and Wakefield and Grubb and Ellis. And uh, I met a man by name there by uh, Kurt Strassman. (laughs) I made a cold call, I think 20 times before he returned my phone call. Yeah. Because he always said, because technically Bob was his boss. And so he would specifically not call people back who would call him saying, I know Bob Osbrink. (laughs) He said he wanted to make sure they worked harder. So after I think the 20th cold call, he finally called me back. And there was an opportunity to go be a runner working under two brokers there. Um, and I would be doing office and industrial, uh, leasing tenant rep and landlord rep. Uh, and, uh, I interviewed, um, and I was very fortunate where they offered me a job. And this was back at the end of 2004. Um, and so I joined Grubb and Ellis then. And, uh, it was, uh, an unbelievable experience that, uh, I still have some really close relationships from, And it was the exact right thing that I needed at that point in my career.
0: Yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, Kurt's great. And, um, I grew up in Detroit. So the, Oh yeah. uh, I used to actually the Pulte family actually lived down the street from us. So, um, I ran into the family all the time and they had a very unique house.
1: Yeah. I can't Um, imagine.
0: Yeah. Uh, well that's, that's awesome. So that's, Now you go, here you
1: go, you're on your way. So then what happens next? So then you know, I was there and I I, I knew right away I liked it. Um, I love the environment in the office. I was working, there were a number of younger brokers who were in my peer group that I was working with. I love the energy of brokerage. Um, I really learned the business really well. Um, I joke, I think I did every small lease in Orange County over a 24 month period, 36 month period of time. I mean, I was grinding there, working really hard. But I love the fact that, you know, in brokerage, you sort of, they call it, you eat what you kill. So if you close a transaction, you know, you make money. If you don't, you don't. Uh, I was there on a runnership for about a year, a little over a year. And then I went to become an independent contractor. And I, I just, it was the perfect place for me to start my career. I mean, there's a number of people who started their careers uh, in brokerage. But for me, it was a great place to really learn. The nuts and bolts of real estate, because especially commercial real estate. Because if you have a building that's leased, it's worth a lot more than a building that's vacant. And so, to learn and grow and be around such smart, qualified people in that environment it was fantastic. Um, I did, you know, a bunch of different uh, uh, transactions with a bunch well, of. Anything experts. noteworthy,
0: John? Like what? What stands out that has a de- been defining for
1: you, or there? more than I I think the defining moment came when I went off on my runnership you're not making any money and you're only getting paid on commissions you do and the first year I was there I did well and um I remember there was a broker in the office an older broker who asked me if I was going to hit you know John you know if you're your first year you know by your second oh he said by your second year you need to be making this amount of money And he said a number and i said i already made it my first year and he goes wow good job (laughs) and and i remember that the experience of going off on my own not making a salary but then being able to support myself being able to make money being able to close transactions it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence it gave me the confidence that i needed to know that i didn't join a team Uh, i worked with various brokers but i didn't join a team and it gave me a lot of personal confidence that i could be successful running my own company because effectively when you're a broker and you're an independent contractor you're running your own little small P&L. I think after my experiences both trying to start a company and at pulte homes i was sort of shell-shocked a little bit to say to myself hey can i be successful in business i had these two experiences where i didn't like it i don't feel like i succeeded and at and ellis i feel like it, i feel like i succeeded in business obviously at a very small level but, you know, sometimes succeeding at a small level gives you that confidence that you can succeed at a bigger level. And, and I'll never forget that, realizing that I, I made it and that I was self-sufficient and it gave me a lot of personal confidence. Um, and, and that's really what I remember from that experience in that, you know, but you know, the transition was there were certain things about being a broker. I didn't like, I didn't like that you were just transactionally focused. I wanted to learn about a lot of their other, aspects of the business. And I tell this story where I went to a real share conference in 2006. And I've been in the business now almost two years, a little over two years. And there was a panel on the office leasing market in Orange County, which I felt really confident because I knew the people in the panel, I knew what they were talking about. I had ideas. And then there was a panel on the capital markets and people started talking about IRRs equity multiples, capital stacks, raising equities. And when you're a leasing broker, you don't need to know any of this. Right. And I felt so dumb <laughs> listening to this. And I remember going back to my office and the broker I worked for joking with him. Well, he was joking with me because I was saying, hey, what about all this other stuff I learned? Because he asked me about the conference. He said, oh, you don't need to know that. Just, you know, go cold call tenants, lease expirations, broker bonuses. Just go make more cold calls. Right. And that's really where I realized, okay, there's a whole other aspect of this business that I don't know that I need to learn. And that's really the impetus for me going out and finding the MRED program and the master's program at USC, realizing that I wanted to take my career to the next level. I wanted to continue to grow with it, move to the principal side of the business. And I met some people who had done the MRED program at USC. And that's when I I said, this is the program I need to do. I need to get more education. I need to learn more about more aspects of the business
0: yeah and and uh, and I assume that was extremely valuable for you to get that education
1: Oh uh, it was so I joke you know I started the program in the fall of 7 and I always joke with people that at that point in time the office markets in Orange County which was probably 90, eighty to 90 percent of my revenue mm-hmm. from leasing, started to fall off a cliff. That's when all the subprime mortgage lenders right? yep, that's uh, the, really that's went that's out of business because yep. we were the subprime mortgage capital in the United States. And I joke with people that I started grad school in the, the fall of 07. And I thought, oh, wow, the Orange County office market's gonna be tough. And I didn't realize the rest of the economy was gonna fall off a cliff with, with that. And that was gonna be the precursor to a lot of things. And so that, you know, I was in school at a really interesting time from the fall of 07 to the spring of 2009. And it was a really fascinating time to be in school because that's during the GFC. And it was fascinating to not only be learning about real estate, but really learning from some really smart people about why we were in that position. And I would not trade that experience for the world. Um, I, I, I was able to learn so much about real estate, meet some really great people. I participated in the NAOP USC versus UCLA challenge while I was in school, um, and which was fantastic. It's, you know, I, as you know, Tim, I it's, volunteered still going. <laughs> for, it's still going. And, you know, I volunteered for six years as the five or six years as the USC rep for that, was on that committee for that competition because it was, and it's one thing I'm really proud about my experiences with NAOP, about how much NAOP is about education and really helping the next generation grow. And so my experience at SC were fantastic. And I really, I feel like I really learned so much while I was there. And it really gave me that further confidence to know, okay, I can move to the development and investment side of this business. And and now I know a lot more. And so, um, you know, I graduated in May of 09, which was an awful time to graduate because there were no jobs. It was a very difficult time in the capital markets. Right. Um, And it took me about seven months to land a job. And then finally I was successful in landing a job with Greenlaw Partners, which was an office and industrial, joint venture operator, developer, uh, you know, based in Orange County, who really hired me because Will, the owner, did the MRED program. And he liked my background at Grubb and Ellis, and he liked my background in the MRED program. And
0: so, so the education paid off, not just in, in, in making you smarter about what you need to do, but it, it landed in a job and a relationship.
1: I would never have landed that job at Greenlaw Partners if it was not for the USC MRED program. And so I, what I tell anybody that's younger in the business is that when you invest in yourself, if you invest in education, uh, it will always pay back tenfold. And that if I look back at the, my experiences in my career, me investing in myself uh, ha, have paid off tenfold. So no, I, I would just simply not have found that job or landed that job without the experience of USC.
0: Well, that's that's uh, great advice for sure. Well, let's talk about where you are today. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Waterford, its genesis, and the vision, and what your day-to-day role is.
1: Yeah, so I, I joined Greenlaw Partners. We were raising capital out of the GFC to acquire distressed, mostly office and some industrial assets. If you can believe, Tim, they're actually distressed industrial assets. At one point in time, now it feels like- Food oh, chain has know. changed. It's, yeah, it's changed a lot. Um <laughs> And so we were raising capital to do that. I learned all about raising capital from institutional investors, asset management, um, acquisitions, underwriting, dispositions, really kind of the full spectrum of being on the principal side. So it was great experience. While I was there, I participated in the NAIOP YPG program mm-hmm. back in 2011. And there, uh, this goes back to my previous point about getting involved. Uh, when I did that program, I actually met my now business partner, Sean Rawson, because he was in the same class as me. He came from a residential development uh, background. He had joined, he did the YPG program because so many of his projects uh, he was finding were infill residential development projects that were existing office or industrial land. Um, And so he wanted to meet more people on the commercial side of the business. So he did the program. He also got his MBA from UCI. So he, like myself or both people who, constantly get involved, constantly are trying to network and meet people. And we met through that. And so.
0: And John, uh, I just want to add, Sean is the captain, uh, honorary captain of the UCI team um, that will be participating in the second annual Orange County NAOP SoCal real estate challenge uh, on April 20th uh, against Chapman University.
1: Oh yeah. And the funny part is one of the, one of the, our interns from Chapman is on the Chapman team. So Sean and I joked, and one of our interns is on the UCI team. So I feel like we Waterford can't lose, right? <laughs> can't so, lose. And they yeah. constantly
0: remind me that they are working with both of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So that the, the irony of that is we uh, we feel like we uh, stack the deck. So Waterford's winning that night. So yeah, exactly. Um, so Sean and I met through that program. We became really close friends. You know, I think the YPG program is a model organization for young people in southern california now really across the united states but such a great program to help people grow their careers grow personally Um, as you know with that program tim you get really deep in that program so you really get to know people so sean and i got to know people and so when i was at Greenlaw, you know one of the things i struggled with and i always joke about this is i think i struggle working for other people As much as I loved playing water polo, I never got the coach's award. And I think some of my coaches would find me a little annoying. So you're you're kind of probably irascible. I'm a little irascible. I'm I'm, I'm opinionated. I would always say, coach, I don't think that's going to work. And so I, I struggled working for other people. And so I knew I wanted to get back to working for myself. I really enjoyed it when I was at Grubb and Ellis being an independent contractor. Uh, I just, I, I'm a very much a self-starter. I have a lot of internal discipline, so I don't really need a boss in many ways. Yep. I like partners, not bosses. Yeah. And so eventually I made the decision after about almost five years at Greenlaw, after I would, had seen deals full cycle, after I had really built up a lot of, a strong experience that it was time for me to start my own company. And that's when I uh, left back in the August of 2014 and I started Stillwater. Now, what's interesting is sean and i went to lunch before i did it because i wanted his advice and we started talking and i said hey look i found this office space because sean had started his own company about a year before me and i i told him about this office space that i'd found that i was looking for someone to share it with me Sean said i was in an executive suite and we decided to share office space together Uh, and we leased a small 850 square foot office together saying look maybe we can find projects to work on together We enjoy each other's company. We're both these kind of startup entrepreneurs. Let's figure it out. So we started sharing office space together and that's how our partnership really grew. And then about eight months into us. uh, And by the way, my business was going to be raising capital to do value-add office transactions because that's really where my acute experience was. And so I started doing that within seven months, I found my first project and kind of a way I went Um, and with Sean, um, you know, him and I had lunch probably six to seven months after we started sharing office space together and I asked him what he would be doing if he wasn't doing these residential development land projects. And he mentioned he wanted to buy existing multifamily projects. He felt like there was opportunities in certain markets to do so, specifically at the time he was living and still lives in Long Beach. He felt like there was a lot of older apartment buildings there that needed to be rehabbed and remodeled and could, could do much better financially if he did that. And I said, well, look, I've got some interesting investors who might be interested in that. And he said, OK. And so we met with one of them and one of them said, yeah, that sounds interesting. And then Sean, who's very good at finding opportunities, about three weeks later came to me and said, hey, through a relationship I had, there's a broker. He's got a 14 unit apartment complex in a great location. The owner's kind of been absent um, and it needs some uh, needs a lot of uh, you know, rehab and needs to be cleaned up. But I think there's an opportunity here. So we had to raise about $1.2 million of equity. We went to four investors. So how did you, you go about first- doing
0: that? I want to ask you about the, you know, friends. Was it was friends and family or how it did was, you go it? About- was
1: actually, uh, it was actually, uh, it was some relationships that I had built up over the years with people. One of the investors was somebody I worked with at Grubb and Ellis. Uh, one of the investors was somebody I worked with at Greenlaw. One of the investors were people through the person I worked with at Grubb and Ellis. So it was sort of relationships that I had built up over time. And, um, and so uh, we had to raise about $1.2 million of equity. And then we bought our, that was our first joint venture together. And we closed that in July of 2015. Okay. And uh, and then um, we started rehabbing that project. We had a vacant apartment unit. We rehabbed the exterior. We rehabbed the interior. We rehabbed the interior project. We thought we were going to get certain rents for it. And we ended up at least putting it out on the market at a much higher rent. And we actually were able to achieve it. And so basically our thesis for that was correct. And then kind of away we went, we ended up buying the 220 unit apartment projects across the street. And then we ended up buying about, I think almost 700 units throughout Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and in these kind of smaller 10 to 50 unit projects, okay. uh, raising money from private investors. Uh, and that was sort of our foray into multifamily uh, investing. At the same time, Sean was doing uh, land entitlement and development projects. I was still doing value add office. I see. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: okay. So then, then take us
1: to then the next level here. So, yeah. So we, so we were, you know, Sean and I are bus, both grinders. You know, by this we had done some really successful office assets. And by the way, so in 2018. We were meeting with equity partners and I was coming in as Stillwater and we started our apartment division was called Waterford Residential. Sean had his land entitlement group or land development group. And investors were like, We're like, hey, we're doing these projects together. Do you want to invest with us? And they said, first off, like, who's on first? You guys have like three companies. This <laughs> is really confusing. And so we made the decision after three years of joint ventures together to become formal business partners. And so we became formal 50-50 business partners in 2018, where we said anything either one of us work on, we're together. And that's when Waterford Property Company came together. Okay. Uh, We literally basically like kind of like flipped a coin. We decided on the name. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, that's when Waterford came about. And so then Stillwater went away and Waterford really, uh, we branded ourselves as Waterford and and Sean and I as the the co-owners, 50-50 co-owners of that company. And so fast forward to COVID, we had done about $350 of acquisitions on the value-add office side uh, that we were buying, fixing, and then selling. Mm -hmm. We had done a similar amount raising capital with multifamily uh, and land development projects, and and COVID hit. And as you know, Tim, uh, you know, COVID had a very large impact, positively and negatively, on a number of the different real estate property types. Right, and so you know, negatively uh, at first on hospitality and retail, uh, and then its long-term impacts have been pretty negative on the office side. On a positive front, it had a very positive impact on a lot of residential markets, and obviously a massively positive impact on industrial, uh, with the with right. just the continued growth of e-commerce. And so, um, when COVID hit. We made the decision to pivot away from office. We sold a couple office projects and we just said, I I was really nervous about its impacts on the office tenant market and what was going to happen. We thought there was going to be a lot of opportunity buying distressed retail. Uh, We actually raised some capital and bought two projects in 2020. Uh, That actually didn't materialize as much. I don't think there's been as much distressed retail as a lot of people thought. And we found a really interesting program to acquire existing multifamily assets using uh, tax, basically abatements to raise uh, municipal bond financing. So one of Sean's backgrounds is in affordable housing development. So he's very in tune with affordable housing, uh, tax exempt financing, tax Mm -hmm. credits, So he heard about a group up in Northern California that was acquiring existing multifamily assets, getting property tax exemptions, and then lowering rents through raising, um, through the property tax exemptions and raising municipal bond financing to acquire these deals. And so when COVID hit, we really had the time and opportunity for Sean to spend, to dig into that program and figure out if it could work in Southern California. And so he dug in really hard we both dug in and we realized we thought it could work. And so we, uh, using a lot of our smarts and, and a lot of our hustle of what we had done, um, kind of got into that program very early uh, and started acquiring projects through that program in uh, February of 2021. Mm-hmm. And That's then it. in 2021, we did a little over $2.4 billion of bond issuances and a little over $2.1 $2. billion of acquisitions in California. Under that program and so it was a tremendous period of growth for waterford wow that's that's that's, significant john yeah it was significant we actually crazy enough we bought more apartments in the state of california in one year than any other group in the history of california so um in 2021 through that program and we partner with what they call a joint powers authority yep uh which is a group called cscda they take uh, title to the assets and we act as what they call the project administrator so we we administer the acquisitions, we administer the program, and we oversee it and get paid fees for doing so. And so well, that it, takes a lot just to understand that. The fact that I go back to the
0: word grinder, to be able to navigate a program like that and be successful, this requires like perseverance and yes. also understanding
1: some some of the regulatory complexities. A, a thousand percent. And I think where Sean and I are both really good is again, it goes back to Sean and I are very open-minded and we want to learn. Sean has gotten very involved with ULI. He's on a product council. He's going to conferences and sitting in on various things for that. You know, I was obviously very involved with NAOP. I still teach at USC. Uh, I'm very, you know, active on LinkedIn, reading information. I've joined organizations like, you know, YPO and others. And, and, And I think both of us are, we're constantly, I call us real estate nerds. Tim. Um, But we're constantly people who want to learn and grow and and understand things and be on the forefront of things. And and I think that mentality has served us really, really well. Um, And I think we're both willing, our people too, where I think we're also really good is we're willing to course correct. We're willing to see, you know, when COVID hit, um, I think we were willing to pivot our company. And we said, okay, we've got to pivot. And we're both very nimble, Um, maybe someone would call it entrepreneurial that way. I always call it nimble that way and not sort of resting on our laurels and being able to sort of course correct and change. And so you know, anybody listening, I would just implore them to say, to be a student of real estate and to, to always be learning and growing. I mean, by the way, this is a plug for NAOP, organizations like NAOP. That's why I love those sort of organizations because you don't have to do it on your own. And there's these fabulous organizations like NAOP, ULI, ICSE that are out there that are great at providing those sort of educational opportunities. Uh, great, I think, especially now at recognizing we have to grow the next leaders within our industry, make our industry, as you know, Tim, something that's very important to me is making our industry more accessible to more, uh, a, a greater diverse group of people. Yeah. Um, And and the good news is there's a lot of avenues out there, but it's up to the individual person to take advantage of those. And if you want to think about some of our success, I would highly correlate it to our ability to constantly be learning. And we I mean, I remember having conversations with that program with people and they said, oh, that sounds too complicated. And I go, that's a good thing, by the way, because it's hard and learning hard businesses, I think, is really important. So. I think you're absolutely right. And I would just implore anybody learning to whatever side of the business they're on to take advantage of the great opportunities that are out there to learn and to grow their own careers. Well, I want to remind, that's uh, good advice. Um,
0: I want to remind everyone we're we're talking to John Drachman, co-founder and head of Capital Markets for Waterford. We are going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, um, but I uh, wanted to ask you a couple more. Questions, um, John. I I, mean, I think you and Sean, your partnership is unusual. Um, that you found someone uh, like that, where you are complementary but kinetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume it's not just you. How are you? and the two of you, you have. Um,
1: we now have team like, members. Talk, in- talk
0: about building a team.
1: Yeah, so uh, we now have fourteen people who work for us. So we've had to grow a company. Um, I I always tell people when they ask me, is it hard being, you know, starting a real estate company, you know, what's been the hardest aspect, I should say, I always say that real estate actually was maybe easier than we thought raising capital, because I think, you know, I was, you know, I was very well trained, I worked for, you know, Will Smith from Greenlaw, who I consider one of the smartest real estate people in Southern California, who was a great uh, person to learn from, you know, I had some great mentors at Greven Ellis, I got the great experience at USC. So I think I was trained well for the real estate aspects. Probably the harder aspects have been growing a company, hiring people, you know, running a business. Uh, that part, you know, there's not a lot of guidebooks for that. So we're now 14 people, uh, and uh, we're looking to expand into other markets. Um, and so, which is exciting. And so I think that you know, it, it, it's it's a grind. I mean, it's it's managing talent
0: and that. promoting talent is is hard.
1: <laughs> it, it's it's hard, and it, it's it's you know, it's not been without its challenges. You know, Sean and I am very fortunate to work with him. We have a great partnership. You know, it's not been without its challenges. You know, um, we brought on board a couple of years ago, a consultant uh, to really be kind of an operational business consultant for us, who's been tremendously helpful uh, to help us as if we have challenges or things to work through certain things uh, and and really talk us through things. Because, you know, sometimes Sean and I can be on different pages and and really building that trust and making sure we're on the same page is important. Uh so partnerships are they're like marriages. So they take, you know, effort and time. Um, but you know, if you put that in, I think where we're we're where Sean and I always come back to is we have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. I think that's where we first foremost started meeting in YPG. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the career he's had and how he's grown from, you know, really nothing and created the career. I think I think it's vice versa. So we lead with that, but you know, we're excited about the future. I think obviously look, we're in a very interesting time frame right now of where the capital markets are. I mean, it's some reminiscent of what I remember seeing when I was in grad school in terms of the great financial crisis, you know, in terms of banks failing, in terms of, you know, issues in the office markets with loan defaults and distressed sales. So certainly a really interesting time in real estate. I laugh with the people I know in industrial because I'm like, I don't think you guys are ever going to feel a recession ever again because of how good their business is. But um, I I do feel like we're in an interesting period. And I think we're, we feel like our company is in a good spot to take advantage of the opportunities when they come, but it's a, you know, it's a challenging market right now. Um, And so it's, it's, it's interesting as we see the future.
0: Sure is challenging, uh, but interesting as well. And I think there's opportunities every, every people, when I talk to people like you, I continue to, be much more optimistic, uh, than pessimistic. Um, I've got two more questions. Sure. You mentioned one of them. So you have a following on social media yeah. and in particular LinkedIn. Yeah. I see your brother. Yeah. Um, so how do you, has that been organic and, and how do you approach, you know, what to communicate and when to communicate?
1: Yeah. Well, so clearly, you know, a big thing for me, um, as you know, Tim, and, you know I'm a, I teach at USC. I've taught at USC since 2015 in their graduate real estate program. You know, I, I think I've come back and, and talked to the current YPG students the last five or six years. Um, I, I love a big thing for me is mentorship. Um, I was very fortunate to have some really great mentors in this business. Um, you know, one of which is you know Tom Sherlock, uh, who's you know I met through the uh, NAIOP uh, mentorship program, yeah,
0: founder, a co-founder. Founder,
1: right. Um, and so I'm a big believer in giving back. Um, I want to make sure that our industry continues to grow. We continue to find more diverse talent. Uh, I want to pay it forward. Um, and, and one thing with LinkedIn, I was noticing probably in the spring of last year is that I felt like there was a lot of people on LinkedIn who weren't really talking about some of the challenges that were upcoming in the market. And I, I just felt like I was seeing some things that I wanted to talk about. And it really came from a position of wanting to educate the younger professionals, feeling like there could be some shifts in the market. And I didn't want younger professionals to feel blindsided by that and see some different perspectives. I remember going through the great financial crisis. I remember graduating into it and how difficult it was on me. And at that time, there weren't really a lot of LinkedIn was just starting. So it was hard to find information and sort of advice. And so I started posting on LinkedIn, uh, I think, things where I was seeing, where I was I was sort of taking contrarian views from a lot of people, uh, things I thought that would be challenges in the market, things that I was seeing that just seemed, uh, you know, sort of out of touch to me. And I think it resonated with people because I think people appreciated my honesty. And one of the benefits of running your own business is I don't have a boss or I don't have somebody that I report to where... I'm my business partner, but I don't, I don't, I can be a little bit more honest. Right. And I I noticed that for me, I I would find that people would be really honest when they would come talk to my students in class. People would be honest in the YPG program. Then on an avenue like LinkedIn, I felt like everybody, I joke with people, it was all sunshine and rainbows. So I started posting how I felt, not with really any intention to build a following, just to sort of, no different than why I talk to YPG. It's like, I want to help people. And it resonated with people and I think people have liked it. And so it's kind of morphed into this thing. And, you know, I I think in this day and age, having a platform is important. Um, And I think that it's just another avenue for me to, you know, help the next generation, advise the next generation, provide my thoughts to the next generation. And the nice part about something like LinkedIn is someone might be in, I literally had a conversation with somebody who was based in Virginia Beach, Florida, thinking of starting their own. Real estate investment business wanted my thoughts, and reached out to me via LinkedIn. We jumped on a Zoom, and if it wasn't for LinkedIn, I would never have found that person. And so, I, I truly love helping people. I love mentorship, um, and so LinkedIn is just another platform for that. And so, well, I, I know I know some people have gotten some uh, I would call it hate mail, so to speak. <laughs> but means, um that means you've you know,
0: arrived. That
1: means I guess so. Yeah, and and so it's just it's just a f- function and a platform for me to. Express how I feel. And I, I always try to think about it and provide guidance, not just self-promotion, but thoughts and guidance for the younger generation.
0: Well, well said. I think people can distinguish w- between superficiality and honesty. And I think what people would want to hear is honesty. And I think mm-hmm. you you deliver that. Um, Last question. So you you work hard. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a grinder but I know you have a family. I do. And, I, and you probably do some things um, that are fun outside of work. Yes. Talk about so, that. Yeah, so funny. I'm very fortunate. Actually, we're, we're about to wrap up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the commercial real estate industry, that's how I met my wife. My wife was a leasing director for the Colton Company and then Irvine Company. And we met when I was a leasing broker at Garvin Ellis. She was a leasing director for the Colton Company. My wife, Laura, was also a YPG grad. And uh, you know, I so I, I, I owe a lot to the real estate business, but we're married. We live in Newport Beach. We have three wonderful kids and very blessed. Uh, we have my daughter, Ariella, who's almost eight, who's an avid soccer player, who I love going to her soccer games. Um, and my son, Alex, who's five and a half, who's just taken up T-ball, uh, who I'm, I'm learning, they have very different personalities. And then we have our son, Josh, who just turned one years old, so- Oh, wow, congratulations. Uh, thank you. So our, 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 my weekends in my life, uh, you know, revolve a lot around real estate, Uh, A lot around my family. Um, I like being around them. I like watching them play their sports games. So I I joke with people that I I live a very simple life right now. I think that's, you know, if you ever wanted to find me, you could find me pretty easily. Uh, I'm either at my house at the JCC working out in Irvine or probably my office. Um, So I love spending time with them. Uh, I love being around them. Um, And we do a lot of stuff together as a family. Um, You know, I like playing golf. That's probably one of my one hobbies. So I do enjoy playing golf, even though it can be a frustrating sport, but, um, you know, we, we were, pre- I'm pretty simple that way. Um, you know, I do love to travel, but we haven't been able to travel as much. Um, a little challenging
0: um, it, with, the, with the, it's kids. challenging,
1: but you know, we, we just, we end up spending a lot of time together and, uh, I enjoy my family. It gives me a lot of, uh, I always joke, my kids, uh, bring me down to earth, um, but it's something that's important. But they do level uh, that playing field, don't they? Yeah, they really do. But I, I find that they provide a lot of perspective, and it's it's an awesome thing. It's hard, but it's awesome. And so they're they're. I'm really the world really would
0: function better if the kids were running it, John.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but it's good. Yeah. So, but I, I I always say like I think my my life outside of work is it's it's pretty simple. I try to keep it that way, uh, and because it it helps our business can be crazy sometimes. So having sort of a simple, repetitive life at my home life, I, I find important, kind of a boring life. So, um, but it's, it's kind of the way I like it.
0: Well, that's a good place to stop. And John, I want to I wanna thank you and, and remind people again. I, we've been speaking with John Drachman, co-founder and head of Capital Markets for Waterford, been an active member of NEAP SoCal on our board, uh, also active in NAP nationally and with other groups. John, it was a real pleasure to speak with you today. Great, Tim. Thank you very much. I appreciated the opportunity. Uh, That's a wrap for today. Please tune in as we continue to publish these periodic podcasts where I interview those who shape and drive commercial real estate throughout Southern California, people like John Drakman. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much.